An effective prayer life doesn't depend on us having it all together. Here's Pastor Trent Griffith. So how do we simply pray? We ask God to show His power through our weakness. We admit, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not articulate enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not physically strong enough. I don't have enough. And so God, I'm coming to you that your power is made perfect in all of these weaknesses in my life. We embrace the sufficiency of God's grace. When God doesn't give you what you ask, you rejoice that God wants to give you His grace. He wants to give you Himself. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Well, this past week here in the United States, we've had 1776 on our minds. Of course, it was a year our nation was born. Well, I want to read something to you that an English pastor, John Newton, wrote in 1779, just three years after the Declaration of Independence. Newton is best known for writing Amazing Grace, but in 1779, he wrote a hymn that I want you to hear. Newton wrote this. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Well, I'd say that's a good prayer request, don't you think? Lord, I want to grow. I want to know you better. John Newton continues with this. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered my prayer. It has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request." and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Newton is saying that he was hoping for something like a glorious quiet time where the clouds would part and he'd hear an angelic choir singing. He'd be zapped with instant holiness and his sins would be over with. Well, the hymn goes on here. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried, Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. Again, that's by John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. Newton understood what it meant to simply pray from his weakness. Well, Pastor Trent is in a series called Simply Pray. And last week, he began listing some ways that we need to rethink our approaches to prayer as we pray from our weaknesses. We're going to hear some highlights from last week, and then he'll continue on with the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Trent. What is the most painful thing, maybe even chronically painful thing, that you experience and are experiencing in your life? Here's the first thing that we need to learn this morning. We need to rethink the problem of pride. 
Do you understand that your pain is not your greatest problem? Your greatest problem is pride. God, would you fix that? God, would you remove that? God, would you make me feel better? Would you make it easier over here? And God is like, I'm not answering that prayer because you're way too proud to handle life without me dealing with the pain and circumstances in your life. So the second thing we need to rethink is we need to rethink the purpose of pain. So Paul mentions here this thorn in the flesh. It's interesting that he uses the word thorn here. He's using an analogy. I don't think that literally he had a thorn that was stuck in his, in his leg or his finger that he couldn't get out, okay? Listen, whatever your pain is and whatever Paul's pain was, God wants to teach us the same thing through it. We need to rethink the purpose of pain. We need to rethink the purpose of prayer. Now listen, three different times Paul pleaded with the Lord that he would remove it. And that's great news for us. Do you know what that means? You can ask God to heal you. It is perfectly acceptable for you to ask God to remove the pain. You can pray about anything, any problem, any pain in your life. You can ask God to fix it. That's exactly what Paul did, and it was very appropriate. As a matter of fact, over in James chapter 5, we're told that God does heal physical pain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that God can still heal? Absolutely. That's why in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, did you notice what happened in that passage? James, who's writing here, associates sickness with sin. You see, God sends messages to people through sickness. And one of the messages that he sometimes sends is the reason you are sick is because you are sinning. Now listen, God doesn't always send sickness and not all sickness is a result of sin. Indirectly it is because it all goes back to the Garden of Eden and none of us would be sick if our great grandparents, Adam and Eve, hadn't sinned. And so sin and sickness entered into the world at the same time. But now that we're sick, it's just part of the curse. It's part of the fallenness that we live with. We can ask God to remove the pain, but when we do, we might want to ask the question that's identified here in James chapter 5, do you need to confess some sin? As a matter of fact, if you come to the elders and you ask us to pray for you, we're probably going to ask you, how's it going in your relationship with God right now? Are you, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you living in harmony with God? Is there any bitterness between you and another person? Um, you might want to go back and take care of that. And you might find that when you take care of the sin, God will take care of the sickness. 
So there's all kinds of reasons that God allows pain and sickness in our life. God has different purposes for sickness. To glorify himself, to convict us of sin, to teach us humility, to prompt us to pray. And so we need to rethink the purpose of prayer. You see, shallow people only use prayer as a means to remove pain. And to the degree that God removes the pain, shallow people serve God. To the degree to the which God does not remove the pain, shallow people don't serve God. And so they're using God and using prayer to make their life easier. That's not the purpose of prayer. Christians understand that prayer is a means to understand God's purpose for pain. Do you understand this? Sometimes when we pray, God wants to change circumstances. And oftentimes when we pray, God wants to change us. And so we have an open hand about the pain and the sickness that we bring to God. God is more committed to changing you than he is committed to changing your circumstances. And when God doesn't answer prayer, it means that he's doing something bigger than you can understand right now. Your prayer life is only one small part of an ongoing relationship with God and all that God is doing to build his kingdom in the world and inside of you. And so sometimes God wants to change the circumstances through prayer. Oftentimes God wants to change me through prayer. So how do I simply pray through my pain? Well, I need to change the way I pray about my pain. Can I suggest something to you? Radical concept. It may even reverse everything you've learned so far in the Simply Pray series. Maybe you need to stop asking God to remove the pain. Why? Because God's using the pain. God is using it to shape you and mold you and to protect you from pride. Did you see it here? Paul prayed three times. Paul didn't ever pray the fourth time to remove this pain. Some of you have prayed for 300 times that God would remove your pain. Maybe it's time for you to get a new perspective on your pain. And to pray not that God would remove the pain, but that God would use the pain to teach you everything that he wants you to learn through the pain. Consider this. You remember that thing you were thinking of earlier? Have you ever thanked God for that? It's a gift. You're like, Trent, you're asking me to thank God for this painful circumstance? Yeah. Well, I don't even think God wants this to happen. I don't know if he wants it to happen or not. All I know is that God is big enough, powerful enough, and wise enough that if he wanted to remove it, he could by now. So he must have a purpose for allowing it. Why don't you thank him that God is big enough, wise enough, and powerful enough that if he wanted to move it, he could remove it and yield to God his timing in removing it. Ask God to use that pain to teach you every lesson that he wants you to learn. And then allow every thorn that you face 
to remind you that on the cross, on your behalf, there was a crown of thorns that was placed on the head of your Savior, not because of his sin, but because of your sin. And God used a crown of thorns on the beloved son that he sent to save you from your sin. So every time I sense a little sciatica in the back, it is an opportunity for me to remember, you know what? Jesus took upon himself pain he didn't deserve. And I thank you, God, that you loved me so much. You took on pain that should have been mine on the cross. Whatever thorn in the flesh you have, you can thank God that you haven't borne the weight of all of the pain that you deserve. Jesus absorbed that for you. And if you've never viewed your pain through the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross, you don't even have the power yet to understand the gospel. And that's why we need to get to the fourth point. Here it is. We need to rethink the power of grace. Look at verse 9. It says, but he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Does it surprise you that the word gladly would show up in this passage? Paul was glad that God didn't remove the thorn. How in the world can a person be glad about the most painful situation in their life? It is only because of grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Now listen, we think of grace and we immediately think of amazing grace that saved me from sin. And we, we too often only think of grace in relation to salvation. Something that God did to remove my sins so that I can be right with God. And then we ignore God's grace for every circumstance and situation that we have every minute of the day. I have said that grace is the most overused, underdefined, and underutilized word in the English language. We sing about it. We talk about it. Can you actually explain how you're using God's grace today? how you are enduring the pain in your life through His grace today, until you understand God's amazing grace to deal with every weakness and every pain, you'll never be able to be the person that God wants you to be. Grace is not simply what gets you saved. Grace is what keeps you saved. Grace is not simply what covers your sin. Grace is what gives you the capacity to deal with your thorns. Grace allows you to embrace your weakness, to boast in your weakness, to see your weakness as something that God wants to use to transform you. Grace is something that saves us, but it's also something that continually changes us. Grace is God's transformational tool. Paul Tripp, that has taught me so much about grace, says this, Grace will convince you of your unworthiness without ever making you feel unloved. 
Grace will confront you with the fact that you're much less than what you thought you were, even as it assures you that you can be far more than you ever imagined. Grace will put you in your place without ever putting you down. Grace will enable you to face the truth about yourself that you've hesitated to consider while freeing you from being self-consciously introspective. Grace will confront you with profound weakness and at the same time introduce you to newfound strength. Grace will make you as uncomfortable as you've ever been while offering you more comfort than you've ever known. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it invites you to fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace will make you sadder than you've ever been before while it will give you greater cause for celebration than you've ever known. Grace enters your life in a moment but it will occupy your attention for an eternity. You simply can't live a productive life or have a productive ministry in this broken down world unless you have grasped practically the grace that you have been given. God wants to give you grace today to deal with the pain that you're going through. And remember the purpose and the power of grace. Grace is God's way of protecting you from pride. There's two kinds of proud people in the room right now. By the way, there's only one type of person in the room, a proud person. Every person in this room has a propensity to pride. We want to boast in our strengths and we want to ignore our weaknesses. And God's economy, he wants you to reverse those. He wants you to boast in your weakness And he wants you to ignore your strengths because God wants to give you grace so that you operate in his power and not yours. So there's two types of proud people in the room. First of all, there are people who have a propensity to self-exaltation. You talk about yourself, you list your accomplishments, you only present a part of you that people would um, be impressed with. And God wants to help you get beyond that. Understand this, God's plan, God's plan A is always humility in every circumstance. When you've blown it, humble yourself. When you've done something right, humble yourself. God's plan A is always humility. What if you don't get on God's plan A? Well, the God has plan B. You know what plan B is? Humiliation. God will create or allow circumstances in your life that you can't handle so you fall on your face and it will drive you to prayer. So do you want to be on God's plan A or God's plan B? Humble yourself. And humbling yourself does not mean thinking less of yourself. Humbling yourself is thinking of yourself less. It's not beating yourself up. It's not pretending you're worse than what you are. It's just actually seeing yourself for the way you really are. And so humble yourself so that you don't have to endure God's humbling grace. Now, I told you there's two types of people. First, you're given to self-exaltation. The second type of proud person is probably the majority of us. It's not so much you brag and boast about yourself. Your problem is not self-exaltation. Your problem is self-sufficiency. You think you can go through the day in your own power. You're smart. You got some money in the bank. You got a good reputation. You're friendly. You're nice. You're attractive. You got this. That's a problem. That's the problem of pride. It deceives you into thinking that you can handle life on your own. And so God 
has to give you some circumstances to convince you, I can't handle this. God, I'm not sufficient, but your grace is. And it's interesting in the passage, it says God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that's an interesting phrase because isn't God's power already perfect? Is there any way to, for God's power to be more perfect than what it is? So it's not something, it's not talking about God's all-sufficient power in, as it exists with God. It's talking about how much of God's power is actually operating through me. You understand this? Only a person who humbles themselves, only a person who admits, I don't have the power that I need, can experience God's power perfectly operating in their life. The more you admit you're not perfect, the more of an understanding you have that God's power is perfect. So how do we simply pray? We ask God to show His power through our weakness. We admit, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not influential enough. I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not articulate enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not physically strong enough. I don't have enough. And so, God, I'm coming to you that your power is made perfect in all of these weaknesses in my life. We embrace the sufficiency of God's grace. When God doesn't give you what you ask, you rejoice that God wants to give you His grace. He wants to give you Himself. Paul got to the point where he valued God's grace so much that he no longer prayed for the removal of the pain. He understood God's grace was more powerful than his comfort. And he understood this pain was actually God's tool to give more grace. And he valued grace so much that he gladly accepted the pain. That's where God wants to take us this morning. Can you yield the right to have an easier pain-free life? so that you can get what you need the most, which is God's grace. And God gives grace to the humble. God stiff arms the proud. He gives grace to people that are willing to admit they don't have what it takes. God is so committed to you knowing more of his power, he continually allows circumstances to convince you you can't handle this on your own. How does this relate to hope? Do you understand it's only in the life of a Christian that has the hope of knowing that one day every thorn, every pain, every tear, every conflict will be removed and resolved for those that have come into relationship with Christ through grace Interestingly, when God created the world, He created a world without thorns. Only in Genesis 3.18 do we find that as a result of our sin, thorns entered into the world. Every rose had no thorns until sin. And what God has given and promised to those that have come into relationship with Christ through His grace is that one day, 
God will restore this place to look like it did when he created it. That's our hope. We live in between the two advents of Jesus. He came first in Bethlehem as a little baby. And he died on that cross to save us from sin. But we are awaiting, we're anticipating the second advent when he will come and make all things right again. So whatever pain you're enduring, whatever thorn you have in your flesh, you can endure that in the grace and the hope that one day, God will make it right. Are you willing right now to boast in your weakness? Some of us have been trained and taught, maybe just absorbed the culture, thinking that somehow if you've got a weakness, you've, you've got to hide that. Don't admit that. Don't let anybody see that. And it may have been hard for you even to admit it to yourself. Right now in prayer, would you just admit your weakness to God? Father, today I want to pray uh, for my friends. And Lord, I know that there are some people here dealing with incredibly painful situations. And some of them are the result and the consequence of wrong choices. They're they're the result of, of doing things not your way. And so, God, we, we pray that you would give us grace to do things your way, to avoid those painful circumstances. But there's other people here today that they really are facing a situation that uh, is causing distress. It's revealing a weakness. I pray, God, that by your grace, you would help them to see your perspective on that. God, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. We know you can do anything. We know that you can heal We know that you can resolve conflict. God, we know that ultimately you can remove eternal pain by your grace. Yet there are some people here that are facing situations that are overwhelming, and I pray, God, that they would see that through your perspective. God, we want to experience your power. We want to know your perfected power at work in us. And so, God, would you change us? Use the thorns. And God, we thank you for the crown of thorns that was placed upon the head of Jesus on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to experience your wrath. Thank you for grace this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Praying from your weakness is counterintuitive, but it's an evidence of true humility and dependence on God. Trent Griffith showed us that today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you'd like to review any of the messages from this Simply Pray series, you can find them on our website, harvestgranger.org slash resonate. If you're looking for more opportunities to pray, a good place to start would be in your own private time of prayer. But prayer also plays a major part of our worship services. Harvest Bible Chapel longs to be a praying church, and you're welcome to join us for a service. There's more information about our service times and campus locations on our website, harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org.
or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, how would you describe your life? Would it be characterized by perfect peace? I think all of us could benefit from a more peaceful life. Well, next week, we'll listen as Pastor Trent explains how our prayer lives and the peace of God intersect with one another as you simply pray with a yielded heart. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that you would simply pray and that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.